Welcome to Carrot Fergus Vineyard, a place of hope where lives are changing. We're a church in the heart of Carrot Fergus, passionate about seeing people's lives changed by the love of Jesus. The following message was given at one of our Sunday services. Previously in We Are Family. So, firstly, Paul reminded us of the early Christians, that community of believers in Acts 2, 42 to 47, that church being healthy family, you can be yourself, you can belong, you can come as you are, get help, find out who you are and contribute. And he reminded us of family as that place to give from, that challenging verse in Acts 2.45, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And I love it that our church family seeks to bring hope and justice to the vulnerable. And he reminded us of that verse about God sets the lonely in families and very much what Jackie was just saying there about the living room. That's just one space where we can be family, be church family with each other and welcome other people in. And then after that, we had Andy Hickford, and it was so lovely to welcome him as our guest speaker. And he spoke to us from Colossians 3 about how as a church family, we're chosen, we're holy and dearly loved. We may be broken, but we're redeemed by Jesus because of the cross and that our lives are honed in the image of Christ. As we commit to worship him together as his people, that can be costly at times, but he shapes us in the image of his son. And I, I, I was a bit like, oh, when he said, it dethrones us from our inbuilt selfishness, which is so true. And he reminded us the presence of Jesus is here as we worship together. And those songs we just sang, you know, we can express our joy through those songs. They help us repent. They may be put into words what we may not be able to say ourselves. So let's be shaped together in the image of God. And then last week, Kate reminded us that the foundation story of the church is about oneness. Um, All the believers were one in heart and mind, and they shared everything they had, and that it was Jesus' prayer that we would be one. And I love the picture that she put up about the three-legged race and the elements of that, the fact that you have to work in partnership. It's trial and error. You have to be patient, and you have to, like, put your arm around your partner and hug them. Plus, I was super impressed that she managed to find a photo of herself at primary school doing the three-legged race. That was so good. And Kate reminded us as well about the beautiful things that are happening in our church family as we open up our lives, our homes, our hearts, we share God's word, we share our struggles, we learn about Jesus and pray for each other, especially in life groups, and how we're displaying the oneness of God when we do that. She said, we're one, but we're not the same. We get to carry each other. And now some of you are singing that song all over again. So yeah, that's where we've come on this journey of We Are Family. And by the way, if you missed any of these, you can listen again on our podcast, which is kindly recorded by our AV team each Sunday and managed and edited by Tom. Thank you all. Just wanted to, yes. Just wanted to say there's so much that goes on behind the scenes, isn't there, to make what we do happen. And also life groups are still open to join and you can find out about that on our website. So that's the plug over. So as I was praying about today and the idea of we are family, an image kept coming into my mind of a table, a family table. 
And so much can happen, can't it, when we gather around a table? And maybe as I say that, your mind is already going to a table you've sat at before for meals, gatherings, drinks, board games, family and friends. It could be recently or it could be ages ago. There can be tears around the table. There can be laughter around the table. Maybe you can remember good times and bad times around the table. So where my mind is going is to our Christmas table this year. Sorry, Hope. Um, this is a different season for us as a family. We're not all together all of the time. So it was precious at times to have the five of us around um, the table as a family and other times the wider family. So the cousins, grandparents, aunts and uncles. So this is a picture of us on Boxing Day around Nanny and Granda's table. So it's hard for us to get used to, and perhaps I'm treasuring that family togetherness more because it's not an everyday thing anymore. I'm not taking it for granted. And I'm sure there's loads of you in the room here with your families maybe spread out in different places or your children have moved away and you can testify to that as well. So, and the other thing is, I was just thinking, like I really recognize it can be so painful when there's people who you would love to be around your table who aren't there for whatever reason that may be. So I was thinking about we are family and around the table. And of course I wanted to turn to the Bible to see what it has to say about this. So as I began to take notice, I realized that tables are present throughout the Bible and they're so significant. And you might think of some already yourself, but isn't it amazing when you start to think about something or notice something and then you hadn't thought of it that much before, but then you see it everywhere. Like maybe like it's a car you're interested in buying and suddenly you begin to see these cars everywhere. Well, maybe it's like a cockapoo. Our dog Marley is a cockapoo. Hadn't heard of this dog, didn't know what one was until we started to look into getting a dog. And now we have a cockapoo and now we see them absolutely everywhere. So here's two gratuitous photos of Marley. Um, one with our family when Sam came back for the holidays and one of him asleep in our bed to show how spoilt he actually is. So like cars and like cockapoos, when I started to think about tables, I began to see them everywhere in the Bible. Don't worry, I'm not going to talk about all of the 137 times Bibles are mentioned in the table. Bibles are <laughs> Oh dear, it's going well. Tables are mentioned in the Bible, but I do want to speak of a few and what that means and what that means for us as we are family, the family of God. In the Old Testament, in Exodus, God met with Moses and he told him to tell his people, the Israelites, make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. So they did that, the people of God did that, and an integral part of it was the table. It was very intricate and the bread of the presence was to be on the table at all times. So it says here in Exodus 39, the table with all its articles and the bread of the presence. And whenever I read that, I just loved it because it's what the table represents, isn't it? It's what it is to contain. It's a sacred place. It's a holy place. It's a place where the Lord is. It's a place to gather and where we encounter his presence. So the bread of the presence, a capital P, the presence of the Lord. 
And as you can see, we're going to have talk about communion and gather around the table later. And that is the bread and the cup as the place of his presence. So the table when God's, and when God's people gather is a place of his presence. And when we talk about we are family, we want to be a place and people of his presence. So that is kind of the first kind of thing that stood out to me. And there is another beautiful story in the Old Testament about a table. And it's in 2 Samuel 9 about David and Mephibosheth. And you might have heard of David before, but maybe perhaps not Mephibosheth. So very quickly, I'm going to explain to you. So Saul was the king of Israel, but he turned away from God and he didn't obey him. David, who was originally a shepherd, was in God's Saul's service, and he became then anointed as the next king of Israel. But Saul became afraid of David and tried to kill him. So there was a war between the house of Saul and the house of David. Saul ends up taking his own life, and his son Jonathan, who was David's best friend, is also killed. So it's pretty complicated, right? But despite the war, when they died, David and all the men mourned and wept and fasted for Saul and Jonathan. So have you got that? Still with me? Yep, good. <laughs> so David then becomes king and he asks this question. Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? And a servant of Saul's household tells him there is a son of Jonathan who is lame in both feet. And David brings him from where he is because he wants to honor him. He wants to show him some kindness and to make sure that he always has a place at the table. And that person is Mephibosheth. And he says, don't be afraid, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. So we see the table is a place of restoration. Like these families had been at war, they'd tried to kill each other, there was such anger and bitterness, but David wanted to restore these relationships and show kindness and make sure Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son, always had a place at the king's table. And I was thinking about that, like imagine when David sent someone to fetch Mephibosheth, like I wonder how he felt when he heard, right, David wants to see you. Like he was probably like, oh, you know, so fearful, thinking of all the past, the history, the family divisions. Maybe he felt a sense of inadequacy because he was lame, maybe he felt unworthy. But the table is a place of restoration where families can be restored and relationships can be restored. And that's no ordinary table, it's the king's table. And I think that represents something for us today as well. You know, God, has, God is our king and he has a table set for us. And he says to each one of you today, there's a place at the king's table for you. But perhaps some of us find that hard to believe at times, you know, maybe for different reasons. We think about our past. We think about broken relationships. Maybe we think, oh, I can't have that restored relationship with God or our relationships can't be restored. Maybe we feel a bit lame, either physically or emotionally or spiritually. And we can't actually believe there's a place for us at the king's table. But it says in 2 Samuel 9, 11, so Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. The king calls us his children, his sons and daughters were adopted into his family. And I want to say to you today, the table is a place of restoration and there's a place for you there. 
You know, we sometimes sing that song, in my father's house, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. I am a child of God. So no matter how you feel, there's a place for you at the king's table. We are family. And just a side note, I first heard about this story of David and Mephibosheth in 1997, 27 years ago. Yes, I'm old. Um, I was doing this discipleship course and they had some people come in and pray for us. And that was one of the things someone prayed for me. He said, you might not have heard of this, but there's this guy called Mephibosheth in the Bible. And there's always a place at the king's table for him. And that was their word for me. And I've always remembered that. So I just wanted to encourage you know, you, you might think you're praying for someone and you're just saying, oh, it's just a Bible verse or it's obvious, but actually it could be something so meaningful that they hold for years over their life. So just an encouragement to keep hearing the Lord for each other and praying for each other as well. So I wonder if there was an obvious verse that came to your mind when I first mentioned the table. Because there's a well-known psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 23, and in verse 5 it says, You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. So if you stop for a minute and think about that, it makes you wonder, do we really want to be at a table in the presence of our enemies? Would you not rather that your enemies were quite far away, at least at arm's length, not at your table, like away from you? And this made me think about something. I was just wondering, has anyone just watched The Traitors on BBC One? Oh, not enough of you. Right, no spoilers, don't say anything, those of you who have watched it. But for those of you, has anyone played Mafia, like in youth group or when you're younger? It's kind of a bit like that. I'm losing everyone here. Anyway, so I'll explain briefly. The Traders on BBC One, it's a game. There's 22 of them in this big Scottish castle, and some are chosen to be traders, and the faithful have to try and work out who the traders are. And every night there's a round table. That's not a very clear photo, but this is a big bunch of them around the table. And they kind of have to give arguments and say, I think you're the traitor because, and accuse them and then banish them. So just before the end of the show, <clears throat> it got very tense. There was only a few left, and they were pretty sure there was still a traitor. And they had this big argument around the round table, and they banished someone, and it turned out to be a faithful. So then they're all sitting there going, oh, we got a faithful, but there's still a traitor here, and they don't know who they are. And then Claudia Winkleman, who is the excellent host of the show, walks in and says, now, guys, you're going to have a beautiful dinner party all around the table. It's going to be so nice. But it's actually, this is them, the next one. Sorry, these pictures are not super clear. So it's really hard for them. They've just had a big argument. They're trying to work out who the people are that they can't trust, and they have to sit down and have this nice meal and be nice to each other. So I just think that was a brilliant illustration of how it is so not natural to sit down at a table with your enemies. You just don't want to do it. You want them to be far away. And I just thought about that. You know, some of us did a life group um, called Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table, which was based on a book by Louis Giglio. And it really helped me to think about the psalm some more. And he really focused on this, you prepare a table in the presence of my enemies. And he called that a table in the conflict. And he said, whatever we're battling, internally or externally, the table is right there in the center of the trouble. 
And he also referred to that verse we mentioned earlier in Exodus about the table and the bread of the presence. Because the table is a place where us as sinful people can meet with the holy God. And today that holy God invites all of us to dine with him. And in the video, he acted out a scene at the table with all this lovely food and that God invites us to sit at the table and dine with him. It's a place for us at the table of the king. And he asked this question that loads of us find so challenging. Will we just rush on with our busy lives or will we take time to sit down and eat and drink at the table God's have invited us to? Will we spend time with him? Will we linger with the king? And he said, this meal is at the core of your intimate relationship with God Almighty. He doesn't promise to eliminate the conflict. He hasn't removed you from the reality of trouble. But he has promised to prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. The wonder of this meal is not the food. It's about who you're at the table with. So the table is a place of protection. The trouble you're in might not just disappear, but God's with you in that conflict. He's with you in the storm. He's your shepherd. He's your comfort. And that's his promise to us as the family of God. And maybe some of you are feeling that at the moment. You're in some kind of a battle or a storm. Maybe it feels like your enemies are right there. But God prepares a table for you in their presence. And the table is a place of protection because he's right beside you. And I think that too for us as family, as church, in our groups and relationships, we can help each other with that. We can offer words of hope and comfort to each other. We can pray. We can gather around that table that God's prepared. So I think so far so good, right? That's all pretty comforting. But I just wanted to look at a table in the New Testament and we'll see something interesting happening there. It's in Luke 11, starting at verse 37. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed Jesus did not first wash before the meal. The Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees, you clean the outside of cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people did not the one who made the outside make the inside also. But as for what's inside you, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue and other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the, the latter without leaving the former undone. So just picture that for a minute. You invite Jesus to come and sit at your, around your table, and he does, he comes along, and then he starts calling you out. You know, that's probably not so comforting. And if you read on in this chapter, it goes on because he says, woe to you Pharisees three times. And then the, or the experts of the law say, Jesus, when you say that, you're insulting us too. And he goes, right, well, if you want it. And he starts talking to them as well. So they should have kept their mouths shut. But anyway, I just thought it caused me to think about that. Sometimes the table is a place of challenge. And are we willing to let it be so? Are we open to Jesus challenging us? Because he loves us as we are, but he doesn't want us to stay the same. He wants us to be more and more like him, transformed in his image, like it says in 2 Corinthians 3, 17 to 18. 
Now the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, he is the Spirit. And whenever I thought of that verse, it struck me about the unveiled faces. You know, that's a sense of vulnerability, isn't it? That's a sense of openness. And as we draw near to God, he changes us. And maybe at times that can actually feel challenging. But ultimately, as it says in this verse, it's for our freedom because we're to be like Jesus. Jesus loves us, but he isn't afraid to speak up. He's even willing to flip tables if it's not okay. And if things aren't right, like remember, Peter's one of his closest disciples. And one time he said to him, get behind me, Satan. He calls him a stumbling block. So he's not afraid to challenge and the table can be a place of challenge. But Jesus does it for our good. And I wonder if some of us are sensing a challenge from him at the moment. Do you know there's something that's not quite right and you need to do something about it? And I just want to say this morning, trust and obey because he's working for your good. And sometimes he can speak through others as well. Our church family can challenge us. I was remembering a time a few years ago just sitting around a table with another friend, uh, another co-leader, and the conversation felt challenging, tearful even. But Jesus was using our friendship and our honesty and our openness and the fact that we're family to be able to have that robust conversation to challenge us and make us more like him. And then just finally, one more table I wanna talk about, which of course is such a well-known one as the table of the Last Supper. And we can read about that in Luke um, 22, starting at verse 14. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has always been decreed. But woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them would do this. And a dispute also arose among them as to which would be considered the greatest. So this is a painting of the Last Supper. <laughs> Imagine being around that table. The disciples have been with Jesus for three years. They've seen him preach, they've seen him do miracles, they've seen him heal, they've seen him challenge, flip tables, restore, they've learned from him, they've laughed with him, they've done miracles themselves because he's given them power and authority. And now he is sitting around this table with them saying, my body will be given for you and my blood will be poured out for you. That must have been a pretty sobering time around that table. And not only that, he says, the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine at this table. And they argue around the table as well about who's going to be the greatest. Have they not learned anything in their time with Jesus? So these are the people closest to him. And he's saying, one of you is going to betray me. And yet he doesn't withhold his body and blood from Judas. 
He doesn't pass it out to all the others and leave him out. He doesn't say you can't have that. He doesn't say you can't partake in this Last Supper. Because the table is a place of grace. It's nothing that we have done, but it's everything that he has done. And because of Jesus, because of the cross, because he died and rose again, because he's the resurrected king, we can know him, we can follow him, and we can be called his children. We're family, and we can gather around this table of grace. We can take the bread and drink from the cup because of his extravagant grace. The body of Jesus broken for us and the blood of Jesus shed for us. And I remember um, when I was a young Christian at university, um, I never really wanted to go for communion because I just didn't feel worthy. But I wasn't really understanding that that's the point. I'm not worthy. But it's because of his love, his grace, sacrifice that we can come to the Lord's table. And maybe some of us are feeling like that even today. Maybe we don't feel worthy. Maybe we feel we've let God down. Maybe we feel we've betrayed him even. But this table is a place of grace. And in him, we're family. And if we repent and turn back to him, we can come back to this table free and forgiven. And I just thought before we take communion, we could take some time to pray about some of these things. So I just wondered if we could take some time to just sit and think about those things we've talked about, what the table is, and then we're going to pray and worship. So why don't we just stand so together if we can? And maybe one of these things feels more significant to you than some of the others. The table is a place of his presence. Maybe some of you are just longing for that encounter to dwell with him in the sanctuary and you just long for more of God. The table is a place of restoration. Maybe like Mephibosheth, you need to know you can eat at the king's table. You're a son or daughter and there's a place for you there. The table is a place of protection. Maybe you're in the middle of a conflict or a storm and you need to know God's prepared a table for you. The table's a place of challenge. Maybe God's speaking to you now. There's things in your life you need to trust him with or be obedient about. And we can pray for courage. And it's a place of grace. No matter what, because of Jesus, you can come to the table. Because he's worthy, not you. And if the table is painful for whatever reason, we'd love to pray for you. And we just want you to know that there is a place at the king's table for you. So let's just, just spend a moment just reflecting on that. And then we are going to invite you to come to the table. And that's before we share in the Lord's table. We thank you that your kindness always beckons us and draws us close to you. Thank you that there's always an invitation. And there's been so much contained in that this morning and I'm sure it's been super encouraging and possibly challenging in there as well. 
there's an invitation from Jesus himself to respond. And each of us will be doing that in our own hearts and our own minds. There will be some of you, as Chantel's been speaking and as we're leading in this, that you feel like there's, you, you need to respond quite significantly and directly for one of those things. And, um, and your response could simply be coming and standing at the front here. And that might actually be enough. Um, but it might be as you come forwards that there may be some of us may want to pray for you. Uh, and so, so if that's you, just nearly as a sign of responding to the words that's been spoken, picture this front kind of space as a table. Um, if that's you and you'd like to respond, why don't you come now, come and stand here with us at the front, and you can do that now. Thank you. If there's others, why don't you just begin to make your way forwards. Thanks for listening to the Carrot Fergus Vineyard podcast. If you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website, carrotfergusvineyard.org.